Can you hear me? Okay, now you can fucking hear me because my microphone was off. There we go. Welcome back to the Moss Vino Please podcast. When actually I should be welcoming myself back because I have been away. It's been a couple of months since I have released a podcast episode and even really worked on anything podcast related. So I'm sorry. I I know we were off to a great start with some amazing interviews and lots of fantastic and really supportive feedback on the podcast. And then I ghosted you all. I ghosted. I'm really sorry. (laughs) Um, But I had a little bit of technical difficulty and then I was busy in Moss Vino world doing lots of Moss Vino things and also nonprofit, real life work things. And I just, it was hard to keep up. I'm realizing this as I like pursue this career or life path or whatever, like a little bit further, I'm getting busier and busier every day, which is like such an awesome thing. And I'm really lucky and I feel really like excited and happy about it, but I'm also like, holy shit, I am not prepared for this. I am not organized yet. So I thought that to kind of get us back into the podcasting groove, I would treat you all to a solo episode. Most likely it's going to be like the raw, raw cuts. I'm not going to cut much out except for like a siren or two. Um, And yeah, I'm just going to authentically chat with you all and kind of catch up and just Hopefully we'll get us back in the groove. I know that there are a couple of new followers and folks who are on the mailing list, the newsletter list and subscribing to the podcast. And so I feel like this is a great opportunity to kind of like reintroduce myself and maybe get to know me (laughs) a little bit more as a wine person. So yeah, so what's been up? Let's see. Um, So two months ago, I, okay, so here's the thing with the podcast is I was on a roll. I have so many interviews completed. Like I have a whole library of raw interview um, with some very awesome and cool and interesting and just yeah, just fucking awesome wine folks. And I just haven't had time to sit down and like edit those interviews properly, which is why there was a delay. But I have lots of episodes ready for you all. I cannot wait. Well, I can't, I'm not going to say that they're ready because I still need to edit, but they are going to be great. I'm really excited to introduce you to some new producers that you may not know, others that you may know very well and um, other folks in the industry that I think are just fucking awesome people and had so much fun talking to them and, you know, picking their brains and learning from them. And they're just people who guide me in my own wine journey. And so I'm really excited to show you those in the coming months. But yeah, since that little break, let's see, what have I been up to? I have been doing a bunch of events. Um, if you're, if you've been following for a couple of months, then you probably saw that Matt and I hosted an event called Buns and Vino. It was our first official wine and food collab together as partners in life and partners in business. And it was really fucking awesome. We killed it. If I do say so myself, um, the event was inspired by, my childhood eating Colombian hot dogs whenever I would go to Colombia. Colombian hot dogs are like a really iconic street food, which I think other countries in in Latin America have similar, if not the same concept, like in Venezuela and in Brazil. They also have their versions of hot dogs that are not like regular dogs. They're not, it's not like a Chicago dog or like whatever other kind of hot dogs we have in the United States. These hot dogs do not fucking play. Okay. They have, they're loaded. They have coleslaw. 
They have cheese. They have five or six different types of salsa. They have quail egg. Sometimes they have bacon bits. Maybe they have some little salchichas, chorizos, whatever thrown on top of them. And then on top of that, they're like big and bulky and heavy. And it's a regular sized hot dog. They're just loading it with like too much fucking food. One of the key salsas, in my opinion, which you have to have when you make a Colombian dog, otherwise it's not a Colombian dog, it's just a regular hot dog, is the salsa de piña. I don't know how they make it. Matt made a fabulous one for this event, but the ones that they make in Colombia, I'm sure are super manufactured with like, I don't know, jelly and sugar and whatever, but it's like sweet pineapple, like jelly that you put over the top of the dog with like a little bit of like mayo. And then you also do like a pink sauce, which pink sauce is basically like in and out sauce. Um, we call it salsa golf because they serve it like golf side. Like when you go to the golf course and you want to, I don't even know, whatever, irrelevant. Um, but yeah, there, uh, what else? Oh, and then at the end of it all, you have this like fabulous hot dog with like so many things. You don't know how you're going to eat it. They take potato chips and then they just crush them and they place them on top. And it is fucking bomb. Like I always put potato chips on top of my hot dog because that just like elevates your shit. It's so good. So anyway, our menu was inspired by that. We had three different hot dogs. I created one inspired by the Colombian dog. Matt created one inspired by the farmer's market and a Chicago dog. That one was my favorite. It was so good. It had fermented green tomato. It had fresh heirloom tomato. He made these like insane delicious pickles. He made these like fermented pepper sauce sauces over them. So good. So good. And then the third dog we had was, um, it was called the cat dog in honor of our cats, obviously. Um, the cat dog with like tons of different peppers and, um, this elote mayo that he like put on top. It was just like, so incredible. I obviously made a playlist with classic reggaeton, like the OG, the old school shit that like goes hard as fuck. I threw that on. I was pouring up four different wines that were all meant to be sipped, super chilled, all very like relaxed, fun for rooftop vibes, hot summer day. It was really like a perfect day. It was so much fun. And it was so fun that I barely took any video or photos <laughs> as a bad content creator does. So yeah. But anyway, it was just, it was fabulous. So thank you to everyone who came out and supported. We sold out tickets to the event, which was really incredible and surprising to me. And I'm just so jazzed on it. Um, we had like 70 people up there. It was really epic. And yeah. And we've got another set of events coming up, some events in the works um, tonight which once this podcast goes out, I will have already hosted, but I'm hosting tonight at Good Clean Fun here in downtown, my friends and neighbors. Um, I'm gonna be curating a lineup of um, wines from Mexico. I've also got a special hot dog, cause you know we love hot dogs, hot dog on the menu. And we're just gonna be vibing. Oh, and there's gonna be house made micheladas. Y'all, it's gonna be a fucking time. I'm really pumped on it. And then I've got some stuff going on at Soho House. So if you guys are, any of you are members of Soho House in LA, um, come through. If you see, you know, one of my events on the lineup at one of the houses, um, you know, Soho House is like so secretive. I can't say much, but yeah, just go to the events page. If you see it there, sign up and come join us. We're going to be drinking wine and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so... What else? There's a couple other cool things I've got in the works events-wise, but more on that later. And if you've been following me now for a couple of weeks on Instagram, then you have probably seen that I am collaborating with my friends, the icons, the one and only Wonderwork. We're collaborating on a wine that is gonna be released this month. I, you, go, you guys, I'm so honored and proud and excited to be a part of this project with them. Like, I can't even, 
I honestly like can't explain it. And I'm still like a little bit in shock, even though I'm obviously going through the motions of like, it's happening, but like, I can't even believe it was presented in the first place. So yeah, I'm just really freaking pumped on this wine that we've created. It is going to be incredible. I, I just, you you all just have to drink it. It's called Como La Flor. It'll be released on October 20th. So a couple of days, weeks, a couple of weeks from now, and it'll be available online only. It's a special collab. So you'll only be able to get it on the Wonderwork website and we are shipping nationwide. So definitely check it out. And this is actually the first episode that I am not drinking wine in. I am drinking a health aid kombucha, strawberry glow. It's so delicious. Um, my favorite health aid is actually pink lady apple. It's like my go-to. I love it so much. The ginger one is really good too. Ginger, um, there's ginger blood orange carrot, which is really good, but then also just the classic ginger lemon I love as well. And also this is not sponsored by health aid, but it should be. So if you happen to work at health aid or you're their PR person and you're listening, hit me up. This could be, you know, kombucha is like, kombucha is like the cousin of natural wine. They're very aligned. The sober cousin. So yeah. Um, all right. Before we start, since I think that there's a lot of new folks here on the airwaves, I've noticed that a lot of the listeners are both new to natural wine and also a good portion of industry folks, folks that have a lot of experience in natural wine or wine in general, probably work in it or are very, um, you know, familiar with producers and wine styles and just wine in general. And so I thought that this could be a really great opportunity to talk about the history of natural wine. So the history of natural wine and natural wine in general as a movement and just like as a thing, I guess let's start, I guess the better way to start is what is natural wine? Okay, well, I get this question a lot. Um, so natural wine is a, now I feel like I put myself on the spot and I'm embarrassed. (laughs) What? I'm literally sitting here talking to myself and I'm embarrassed. Okay. Um, so natural wine is the process and the technique, the ancient technique of making wine. It's the best way that I like to explain it is This is the method of winemaking that has been used for thousands and thousands of years. The OG, the original method. Okay. So back in the day, they used to take the grapes and then they would crush them and then they would put them in the container that is appropriate for that style of wine, whether it be oak or concrete or amphora, clay, like whatever, wherever you were at the time, whatever you had on hand. You would then ferment them in these giant vats, jars, barrels, whatever, and for a period of time, and then they would turn into wine, and that's what people would drink, right? As time went on, and we as a society became more advanced, especially around the Industrial Revolution, specifically when it comes to wine, specifically around the 50s or 60s in California, there was a man named Robert Mondavi. Some of you may or may not be familiar with him, but I don't like to call him this, but like, I guess we'll just for the sake of the story, we'll call him like the godfather of wine in California. Okay. He took a region near Napa and got a bunch of vineyards. I don't know like details too, too much. I'm going to like do way more research on Robert Mondavi in a couple of weeks for another thing I'm doing. But uh, basically he saw that You could mass produce wine if you used the right machines. You could mass produce it and therefore everyone in the United States and around the world could have access to wine. Prior to the industrialization of wine making, 
it was a lot harder to get wine. It wasn't the way we consume wine today. In certain parts of the world, it was, right? Like in Europe, you know, having wine for lunch or breakfast (laughs) was something common and easy, easily accessible because those were winemaking regions. But in places like in the United States, in the middle of America, there was no winemaking. Therefore, access to wine was nearly impossible. It was something that was reserved for folks who either had a lot of money who could get wines from around the world or folks that were in regions that were making wine, right? So most of America wasn't really exposed to wine. And I think that that's pretty evident today, right? Like, I feel like people think about wine in a way where that that history of us not really being exposed to it as just like a general society here in the United States is still evident because wine in a lot of cultures is like second nature or it's just like along with a side of bread or, you know, it like kind of like fits in that same sort of like mundane everyday item category and for a really long time I think up until really like super recently like wine was not that much of a commodity it was pretty like special occasion vibes or really expensive um and so yeah so you know it's interesting my grandpa was telling me a story recently when he came to visit and he grew up in Colombia and he lived in Colombia for a long time and then in his 20s he moved to Boston to go to university and I don't really know his relationship to wine prior. I think he was pretty immersed. I mean, my family's always been kind of like immersed in in wine. But he gets to the United States and it was not like available. People didn't have wine with dinner. People didn't have wine at restaurants even. But Robert Mondavi started to... This was in the 60s. My grandpa was in Boston around the late 60s with my grandma. That's when they moved there. This was around the time that Robert Mondavi started to mass produce wine. He figured out a way to mass produce using machinery um, that would pick the grapes in large quantities all at once, press them all at once, um, and would bottle huge whatever. Robert Mondavi wines were all over the fucking place is what I'm trying to say is people started to see like, oh, like we can have this juicy juice, this juicy juice wine with our dinner. We can buy a bottle before we go to this restaurant and take it with us because at the time, like people were drinking like beers and I don't even know what else they were really drinking, but wine wasn't a part of the conversation. So anyway, our friend Robert Mondavi started to mass produce. But what happens when you mass produce? You start to cheapen the product, right? The objective of mass production is producing as much as you can very cheaply and selling it as much as you can so you can make your profit back. So that obviously has implications for exploiting the land, the way the grapes are farmed, the way the people are paid for farming and picking the grapes, then once it gets into the winery, then, you know, the integrity of the wine is also altered because when you mass produce something, you need it to all be consistent. And so in order to make wine consistent at that level of production, of volume, sometimes you have to add things to it, right? So one thing that is very common in conventional and mass-produced industrialized wines are is sugar right sugar helps spike the alcohol levels so you can make it into alcohol make it into wine so a lot of wines that you get from the grocery store um have sugar added to them they also you know even some of some of the really cheap ones have colorings mega purple and things like that. Um, Other things that can be added to wines are yeast, right? When you want your grape to be consistent across the board at every grocery store all year round, you cannot rely on native yeast because you don't know how that's going to play out in the fermentation process, in the winemaking process. And so you inoculate yeast. You essentially can pick and choose and select 
the yeast that you want to add to your wine in order to give it certain flavor profiles. Like say you want, you're making a Cabernet, you're known for your Cabernets. Your Cabernets need to be really bold, really like jammy, dark fruit, maybe a little bit of spice. Okay. Like, I'm not sure that my grapes are always going to give that. So I'm going to add a little bit of this inoculated yeast that's going to create that kind of effect of a really traditional bold Cabernet, right? Um, other things that can be added are um, fish bladder or egg whites, and that's used to that's used to uh, filter the wines, right? So using things like fish bladder um, or the egg white helps basically all the sediment kind of like sticks to that. And then that's how you get really clear bottles of wine without any kind of stuff at the bottom of them. That's because those wines were filtered and that's how they filter wines. So a lot of these conventional wines are not vegan. And that's why you hear a lot of times in the natural wine movement, like, oh, these wines are vegan. These are vegan. It's a big selling point because for a really fucking long time, all these vegans were probably, I mean, I know plenty of vegans who were drinking whatever fucking wine they were handed from Trader Joe's and from Whole Foods and from the liquor store and they were drinking it and hundred percent, it was not a vegan wine. So... Yeah. So anyway, I'm getting off topic, but that's basically like what, like, that's like regular wine, right? Like that is like sort of what happened in wine around 1950s, 60s. We had this industrialization. So to recap, you know, more industrializing wine created more accessibility around wine. Folks were able to get wine more readily and more easily and also for a more affordable price but at what cost exploiting the land and also kind of just making shitty wine making wine however you could really cheap and so then we started getting wines that were cheaper grosser less beautiful more yellowtaily more barefooty right so, all right, that's that. That was happening here in America, of course. That shit always happens here in America. Those sort of mass production and industrialization and manipulation, because that's really what it is. At the end of the day, it's manipulating the grape and the wine to do what you want it to do, not letting it just ferment and turn into wine the way that it wants to, right? So these manipulation techniques and this industrialization of wine made its way over to other wine regions like in South America and then also in Europe, especially in like France. A lot of those uh, regions were starting to implement some of these practices at different levels, right? Like not all of it was trash wine, but it was definitely a level of manipulation that wine had not seen before. And so as this is going on around the 80s, there was a couple of dudes in France, like in the 30s and like 40s and 50s that were kind of like really hanging on to the old school traditional methods of winemaking, what we now know as natural winemaking. Um, but it wasn't until like the 80s that there was a group of guys. Well, there was one farmer in particular and his name was Marcel Lapierre. This was like 80s France, right? And Marcel was in the Beaujolais region and was like, I'm tired of these super manipulated wines like we get in Provence and like nearby, like, I mean, probably also in Beaujolais, but like, he was just like, I'm tired of this like super manipulated stuff. Like, let's bring it back to the OG ways of winemaking, which are a lot more unique in flavor, um, really express the grape, express the terroir and the grape like a lot better than manipulating the wines. And so he started kind of like working on that. Like those were like the styles of wines he decided to make, but the market wasn't really ready for that. Like people were kind of like, uh, no, we like this traditional, you know, French style, what we've been drinking for the last 30 years, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, um, Marcel links up with a couple of other guys that are also winemakers in that area. And then there's four of them and they become known as the gang of four. 
So LaPierre links up with a couple of other winemakers in the region, um, Guy Breton, Jean-Paul Thévenet. I never know how to pronounce his last name. Thévenet. Jean-Paul Thévenet. And Jean Foyard. Um, so the four of them are end up becoming known as the Gang of Four. And they're, they're like the real OG godfathers of natural winemaking as we know today. So remember, this is like the 80s, okay? And the Gang of Four decide that like they want to go back to the traditional ways of farming, the traditional ways of viticulture, caring for the land, making sure that there are no pesticides, no chemicals being sprayed using organic practices, and then also taking that into the cellar and into the into the the winemaking process and really focusing on minimal intervention and making sure that the grape is really what is expressing itself along with the terroir and not relying on chemicals and too much manipulation to turn the wine into whatever final product we wanted, right? So when I talk about natural wine, I use in my mind, I believe in a lot of the same principles that these guys kind of founded the movement on. Um, and you know, whether they founded this movement intentionally or not, they had a huge impact on the way we consume and we think about wine and natural wine today. So for one thing, for me, it always starts in the vineyard, right? Just like any, any food product, any agriculture product, it starts with the land. How are we taking care of the land? How are we tending to the biodiversity, the space that the grapes are being grown in, right? Making sure that we are not exploiting water, making sure that we're mindful of wildlife corridors, making sure that there is biodiversity in the area and not just mass mass cropping. I don't even know if that's a word, but like, you know, when you have just like a mass crop of something, you're cutting out a lot of the biodiversity, which we need. We need the bees. We need flowers. We need pollination. We need all the different things that this land can bring and bring balance to it, which is why I really appreciate biodynamic farming, which I think I should do a whole other episode on because that's something totally different. But anyway, um, yeah, basically just really caring for the land, making sure that we are farming organically, not using any pesticides. And then on top of that, when it comes to farming, we're also mindful of the people who are the ones farming, right? We're paying them fairly. We're making sure that they have livable wages, that they are protected, that they're able to take breaks, that they're not getting paid. I mean, and this is really fucking hard in any agricultural, but a lot, I, I don't think a lot of people know this, but people, farm workers get paid by the pound in a lot of scenarios. They get they don't get paid for their time. They don't get paid hourly salary. They get paid by the weight that they bring in, the weight of the product that they bring in. So if you can only pull two pounds a day, you only get paid for two pounds. If you pull in five tons, you get paid for five tons. Think about that. You're still working the same amount of time in the same environment, in the same scenario. You're working hours and hours 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day in really harsh conditions, sometimes in 110 degree weather with no shade where your only break is 15 minutes. But if you take that 15 minute break, then you're not able to pick the grapes you need. Like those are the things that I think about and I talk about when I'm talking about natural wine. It's prioritizing producers and prioritizing wines and winemakers that are also thinking about that, that are also really considering like, who is doing the work for them and making sure that they're taking care of them. And I think that that also falls on the consumer as well. As consumers, we need to do our own research. I know it's not easy. I know it's not like, oh, we're just gonna like, just know these things. Like, no, it requires time and effort. And I'm doing that a lot and hoping that I can, you know, share that information with folks. But also like, I put it also back on you guys to do that as well, because we should all be consuming responsibly. So anyway, okay, sorry, getting way off topic and a little intense. Um, so that's what I talk about when I talk about natural wine and the land and farming. And then in the cellar and, and when you're making the wine, 
I'm not the strictest person. I'm not a winemaker, right? So I don't like know all the things that like really, really, really are required in winemaking, you know, but generally I expect a level of transparency from the wines that I drink and from the producers that I like to support and I like their wines from. I want to, you know, I appreciate them being transparent of saying like, like, yes, we added 30 parts per million sulfur or 50 or whatever it is. I, I don't really care as long as it's a reasonable amount. I like 30 being my max, but whatever. Um, like just letting the grapes kind of do their thing, respecting the art and the craft of winemaking, um, I think is something that I really attribute to natural wine. I think that conventional winemakers can obviously still appreciate and respect the craft and the integrity of winemaking. Of course, I, I definitely believe that. Um, but I just like those winemakers who really let the grapes and really let the time speak for themselves in the winemaking process and like are the guides for the, the wine's not going to make itself at the end of the day. Like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, you can let some grapes ferment. They're not going to be good. Right. So like any and all winemaking, even natural winemaking requires some form of intervention, of course. But for me, the winemakers should be like a guide to help the natural process really like shine and evolve to a beautiful bottle or glass of wine. So that is a really long winded crash course in natural wine and what is natural wine and the natural wine movement. I hope that made sense. I feel like I rambled, but I'm a little bit of a super annoying history geek and I just like get fixated on one topic and then I do a lot of research and I like read all these books and articles and like Google shit and like talk to people that I think like might know more about it than me and like try to like find out whatever. And then I just like have all this information in my brain and I don't have anywhere to put it except my brain. So <laughs> that's why it comes out all rambly. I'm not a professor. I'm not as eloquent as one might think. But anyway... That's the history of natural wine. Congrats, you graduated. Yay. Okay, we're going to take a quick little break. I need to just... Whew decompress after that word vomit and I will be back now with part two little history lesson but this time about Mosfino okay I am back so a question and I'll get into my I'll get into the questions you all asked very shortly um but there was a lot of really great, thoughtful questions that I really honestly was not prepared for. But I love them. They were so great. I kind of want to do it again. I hope, like, people keep having questions because I like, really makes me think. But a question I do honestly really get a lot is how I got started in wine. So I'm going to share with you the... I'm going to share with you the origin story of Mosfino, please. So Mosfino, please, the origin story. I feel like I've talked about this a bit on my, in like the first newsletters. So for the OG, OG fans, newsletters like one, two, and three, I talked about like my own personal history with wine and how I came to natural wine. But um, for those who are new or who maybe don't follow the newsletter yet, subscribe in the link in my bio. Um, so I have always been into wine. Like wine has always been around me, not like in any super intense way. My family aren't, we're not winemakers or anything like that, but my family always had wine on the table. Um, my grandfather is a pretty legit collector of wine. He definitely appreciates a great glass of wine. And I kind of adopted that from him. I think as I got older, I was like, oh, like wine is so cool and chic and mysterious. And like, I thought that that's how I presented myself. 
at 16. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of like, I was, was like intrigued by it, but I didn't really like learn a lot. You know, it was kind of like the, it was pre social media. It was like Facebook era and there wasn't like, you know, there wasn't like blogs really about wine or anything like that. So what I learned about wine was like, like weird Google, like Wikipedia vibes websites of like wine grapes. Like what is a Cabernet Sauvignon? And like, what are the differences between this and that? Like, that was like how I was trying to get my research, but it wasn't really like presented to me very well. I didn't know I could just go buy a book, which I should have done, but I never did. Um, and so anyway, I started drinking wine. And then when I got into college, I discovered the wonderful world of Franzia boxed wine. RIP to our dude. RIP. He just passed away last week. So anyway, I realized, oh my God, I can buy five bottles of wine for five to $10. Are you joking me? Fuck yeah. So me and my roommates, we would get boxes of Franzia like every weekend, every weekend. And we would drink so fucking much. Like I honestly like would drink a box almost to myself, like not even going to lie. Like we were terrors for our dorm and our well, I mean, it was the whole dorm. Like that was the thing. We, our particular dorm was a little bit smaller than the average dorm. I think we had like maybe 60 kids that lived there and there was only three floors. Our floor was also co-ed. <laughs> Yikes for our parents. Um, it was co-ed. All we did was party. We had all like basically open door policies. Um, we also had like apartments. So our dorms were not just like little studios. Like we had full on two bedroom apartments, two bedroom, two bath with a kitchen and a living room apartments. So we were 18 years old on our own with boxes of Franzia. The whole floor would be partying together. We'd all get fucked up on boxes of Franzia. And then like, I just remember like there would be people puking in the stairwell, purple, whatever. There would be like streaks of purple just splashed along the walls because we'd get so fucked up. And like, I have a very vivid memory of my best friend, Lily, shout out Lily. Cause I know sometimes you listen and I have a super vivid memory of just walking behind her. She's wasted and she's holding a giant pool glass, pool cup poolside kind of cup full of wine she's walking swaying and she just takes her wine and just fucking throws it against the wall she doesn't throw the cup she keeps the cup but she just empties out her whole cup against the wall and that was stained all year long like that but whatever that was that was the college era we loved it so anyway okay graduate from Franzia. I'm still in college, but I like leave my Franzia era and I go into like just cheap bottles of wine. Cheap bottles of wine are like Yellowtail, um, Two Buck Chuck. We didn't have Trader Joe's in Colorado at the time, but we had like um, at Whole Foods, they had like Don Simone. I think it was what it was called. Where it was like $3 bottles of wine. They actually like I mean, at the time I was like, these are so good for $3. Oh my God. But I don't think that they're good. I don't know. I haven't had them. I've seen them at Whole Foods, but I haven't had it in a while. Um, oh, one more Franzia memory before I forget. Oh my God. We had something called the Tour de Franzia. Honestly, an epic like idea, but so dangerous. We basically broke up into teams and we had like five locations throughout the city of Boulder where we lived, um, where our friends' houses were. And we decided to do a bike Franzia tour, like tour de France, but tour de Franzia. And we would start at one house with our team. Each team was responsible for drinking a box of Franzia. And then they would move on to location number two, where they would stop and drink another box of Franzia between themselves. Obviously the more people you had on your team, the better, but like teams were realistically like no more than five people. So we had three and four and five people drinking a box of Franzia and then moving on to the next house, doing the same, getting sick. There were five locations in my house was the final location. Let's just say it was so dangerous by the end. People definitely crashed their bikes. They were fine. Everyone was fine, but it was not a chill 
plan. So don't recommend doing that. In theory, it sounds like a great like idea, but like don't don't do it. Don't. So anyway, okay. Now I'm drinking cheaper wine. Um kind of like thinking I'm being chic, whatever. And then when I graduated college in 2013, I lived behind a wine shop that still is there today, but it's under a different name. When I lived there, it was called Cured and it was in Boulder right off of Pearl Street. Today it's to Dallas. Um, They recently switched ownerships, but it's still like a great little wine shop. I had no idea that all of those wines were natural wines. At the time, I didn't know that that was a thing but they were sourcing minimal intervention, low intervention wines. And that was what they had in their cellar in their wine shop. And so I was buying wines from there and I was like, yeah, wow, these are delicious. These are good. They're lighter than I was used to because I was drinking really heavy, bold wines. So this is the part of the podcast where you might hear a commercial or an advertisement. And if you are a brand and you would like to promote your product or your service or yourself, send me an email. Let's connect. Let's collaborate. As you know, this is a self-produced podcast and I am happy to provide space for your advertisements. Now back to our show. Okay. So I'm drinking these wines for a while. I've moved, uh, I moved to Columbia. The wines are okay, but I'm still drinking whatever wines I could get my hands on. And then I moved to Spain and I'm re- introduced to biodynamic wines, minimal intervention, zero intervention, um, winemaking. And in Spain, obviously, you know, there's places like Bar Brutal and other natural wine coves and locations that are just really iconic in the natural wine world. And this was in 2017 when that, I think that was really starting to kind of pop off. It wasn't on my radar though. Like, like it was, but it wasn't. I didn't realize the impact it was going to have on me, obviously, but also just on the movement in general. So I kind of like floated around it. I drank a lot of wine while I was in Spain and I was really like, you know, living my best life, of course. Um, and I was, you know, next to my school, there was a, um, as I did my postgraduate in Spain, which is why I was there. Um, there was a, like a natural wine bar or whatever. So anyway, it was around me. I just wasn't like really aware, aware of it. And then let's, that's 2017. And then we're going to fast forward to 2019, 2020. I'm back in LA. I've moved back to LA officially, fully, full-time. And I start going out a lot. I haven't been in LA for 10 years. And so I'm like kind of reintroducing myself to the city as an adult. That's now like super hyper trendy with all these great places to eat. And everyone's like, oh yeah, we carry natural wines on our menu. And, you know, Hippo in in Highland Park, which I was going to a lot because my friend worked there, had like natural wines. And I'm like, what are natural wines? Like what, what are these buzzwords? And I moved downtown and there's a wine shop next door to our house um, that also carried biodynamic, minimal intervention, again, with all these same buzzwords that I keep hearing. And I'm like, okay, what the fuck does all this really mean? Because what am I drinking otherwise when I go to Whole Foods, right? So I start doing research because I love to do my research. And I start to read what natural wine means, what the movement really means, the differences between organic and natural, biodynamic, natural wines, what is minimal intervention, et cetera, et cetera. And I start exploring and I start, you know, going to that wine shop exclusively because it was right here, literally a block from my house and kind of like asking questions, you know, trying to like learn as much as I could. I didn't want to, I didn't want to come off like I didn't know anything, but also I was just like, fuck it, dude. Like I like, I'm learning online. Like I can also like learn in the shop too. So around this time was like the early days of COVID. So like I was starting to get interested in this like new movement of wine. And then like literally like two months later, COVID happens and everything shuts down and we have time on time on time on our hands. So every single day, Matt and I would go to 
dopo we would pick up a couple of bottles of wine and we'd make a really fabulous dinner because matt was no longer working in a kitchen so he was making like the best food i was like what can i bring because matt's gonna be cooking all day long let me like get some wine so we just started like having wine like every night in our meals and like every bottle I would get, I would like learn about it. I was like, who's this producer? What are these grapes? What does this mean? How is this different from another producer or same grape, but different wine, you know, and just really like just learning, learning and learning and learning. And, um, around this time also I connected with a friend of mine from high school, um, which I'm very excited to have her on the podcast in the next episode. She was actually the interview that I was editing when my computer went out. So um, her episode will be coming up very soon. But anyway, reconnected with a friend of mine who is a winemaker and she recommended a course for me to kind of like learn all the basics. And it was a Christy Norman wine course. It's not a W set. It's not like an official, you know, like sommelier class but it's pretty similar to like the kind of information you would get in a w set for way cheaper if i do say so um and so i i i took that course crash course learned about like all the different regions and terroirs and different types of grapes and how to like wine taste and like all these different things and started putting that into practice in my own personal experience and my own personal wine tasting and honestly guys it really just went from there. Like I just kind of became like the friend who like only talks about wine, the friend who natural wine is her personality and all those other things. And I was sharing them on Instagram. You know, I like, I was just like, this is what we drink tonight. These are my wine notes for this. Like I was just talking into the void. And around the same time, there was also, um, around the same time TikTok came out. And I was like, so anti TikTok when COVID first happened, I was like, I don't have time for this. It's for kids. I'm honestly like freaking out. Cause I had a bunch of, I was doing all the social media for my office. And so like, I just didn't want another platform to have to manage for them, honestly. So I just like avoided it. Um, but by October, 2020, I started to come around and I was like, okay, like, what is this app? Oh, it's kind of funny. And like, oh yeah, there's like cute vibey videos. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And I was also kind of feeling and noticing that in general, I wasn't finding content about wine that I liked and that resonated with me. Like this is no shade to, you know, any of the other wine content creators out there. I just didn't find anything that I was like, oh, like this feels like me or this feels like something that like I would create and also share. And so I was like, no, and no one's talking about natural wine. There was lots of wine content creators and influencers, but there was really at the time, I don't think there was anyone really doing anything around natural wine, especially not on TikTok, definitely not on TikTok. I was the first person on TikTok. There were maybe some people on, you know, on Instagram, like really obvious, like wine journalists and stuff who like exclusively talk about natural wine and champion natural wines. But I like, yeah, I feel like I was one of the first TBH. So anyway, I just started creating content around it. I was like, I like just feel like I'm good at making content. It's not anything new for me. I was already doing that just in general. And yeah, I uploaded a couple of videos. My first videos on TikTok were like wine reviews. You know, I'd go to like Silver Lake Wine or wherever. And like, it would just be like a really cute, simple video. I just like look back at them. I want to pull them up just for like OG nostalgia, but they were like not great, like not very aesthetic and whatever. And, but they got the point across. Like I talked about the wine, the, the varietal, the notes. And then it was like a quick video of me drinking the wine and, uh, nobody saw them. <laughs> like nobody saw those wines at all. Like they, every once in a while I would get like a thousand plays maybe. And then I, um, I 
went to Good Luck Wine. I remember this specifically. And I got a bottle from Emmy Wines. Um, it was Tell Your Sister I Said Hi. And it was a, it was a Columbard. It was the Columbard. It was an orange wine. It was fantastically delicious. And I did a review just talking about that wine and it blew the fuck up. It got so many likes. It got so many views. It was like a hit. And I was like, oh, people love orange wine. Interesting. Okay. So I was after that, I was like, maybe I should just turn this into like a series, like a natural wine series. And also at the time, my like content was not exclusive to natural wine. I was like cooking and like filming my cats and like doing all these different things. And so I kind of decided in that moment, I was like, okay, there's clearly a demand because people were commenting like, oh my God, I finally found natural wine talk or like, thank God I'm like on wine talk now or whatever. And I was like, okay, there's clearly a demand for this. And like, I have never seen anyone else do it. So I'm just going to do it. And I decided to like dedicate my channel exclusively to that niche, natural wine. And then from there, I had a couple of other, you know, like just like anything on TikTok, it's not always like right out the gate unless you're Justine's table. Shout out Justine, love you. But every single video of hers gets insane numbers. And I'm just like, you're such an icon. Like you've hacked the algorithm. Um, but anyway, up and downs for Moss Vino, up and downs. And uh, I had a couple of other videos like over the next couple of months, like do really well and like really like kind of put Moss Vino please the account in like the light of natural winemakers. So I started to like hear from winemakers. Like one of them in particular is now a very good friend of mine, Rachel from Say When. I featured one of her wines. It happened to go viral. It was a beautiful bottle course it's going to go viral because it's stunning and gorgeous and the wine was delicious and she reached out to me and we became friends like through that which I think is like so cool and so crazy and then after that it, I had a, a wine from Wonderwork their um I think it was their it was Bust and Loose it was a pet nat I'm pretty positive uh which I don't even know where I got it or when I got it but I randomly got it and that video went super viral as well and people loved it people were really excited then Wonderwork reached out to me and was like hey can we send you some wine and I was like oh my god am I an influencer am I an influencer now <laughs> But no, yeah, it was pretty cool. I started getting wine for free from like some of my favorite producers. And then I started like becoming friends with some of my favorite producers, which is like also like crazy because at the time I was like, oh my God, these people are like rock stars. Like, oh my God, they want to like hang. Like that's so crazy. And yeah, so now like, anyway, that was just like a cool, like it just evolved from that. And I've had the opportunity of you know, creating a space where people feel like they can learn about natural wine in a way that is really like accessible and like digestible. It's not like dense. Like I'm not like, you know, throwing like textbook heavy type of stuff at people. I'm just talking about wine the way it makes sense to me you know, and hopefully I think that resonates with other people. It makes sense to them and they're able to learn through that as well. And I always say this, but I'm not a sommelier. I don't have any professional wine experience. I didn't work in a restaurant that taught me about wine. I literally, all of this is just on my own, on my free time. I've had a full-time job this entire time, my whole life. <laughs> like I've been working since I was nine. So like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this like on the side. I do this on the side in the evenings, in the mornings, in the car, when Matt's driving, like I just do it when I have time because I love it. You know, like it's a thing that I'm so interested and so passionate about and it makes me really happy and it makes me even happier to share it with people and to hear other people say like, wow, I learned so much or like, oh my gosh, I love that recommendation. Or like now I feel confident going to a wine shop or now I feel confident ordering wine at a restaurant. Like that is the Masvino goal. That is what makes me really happy about the work that I do. And I've also had opportunities to work with really incredible brands. Like creating content for Sur La Table was so fucking iconic. Like, thank you for asking me to be a part of that. That was really cool. And 
working with other brands too that aren't exactly in the natural space but are making efforts to change their vineyard practices or their winery practices to be more sustainable and to be more focused on the earth or ethics. And so, you know, a lot of people are like, well, that's not a natural wine. Like you can't like promote it. You can't like, and that's not true. I can do whatever I want. (laughs) Number one, number two, like, yes, I champion national natural wines first and foremost but if a producer or a winery or a company comes to me and can show me that they are transparently trying to change the practices that they have been using forever and like change them into something that's better for the people or better for the planet or better for the wine then I'm happy to support them and I'm happy to share that message with my followers, you know, because a conventional winery is not going to change overnight. They're not going to become a natural wine tomorrow. You know, it takes a lot of time. It takes years sometimes for them to really truly shift over. And for me, the ultimate goal is that like all wine goes back to being natural wine, right? Like all wine is as natural as possible. I know that that's not totally possible, just given the way that the world is populated today. But like, I just think like, you know, we have to have grace for everyone and everything as much as we can and as much as they deserve. And I think that like a conventional wine company, you know, asking me to promote a wine is fine. And I vet them, you know, I don't accept all offers. I don't accept all brands that come to me. But, you know, if you can really like show me that you're doing something better and you're really trying to make an effort to change, then like I'm down and I will like work with like work on a way that works for both of us, you know. So anyway, long tangent. But yeah, so for me, that was my story of getting into natural wine. That is how it happened for me everyone's journey and story is different. I know that I realize that everyone has different reasons for liking the wines or the foods or the things that they like. And I'm not here to tell you anything specific, like you got to be any kind of way, but this is what I love and believe in. And so this is how I got here. So that's one question. Question number one. Okay. What about question number two? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But that was someone's question, was how I got into natural wine. So I'm going to go into, it was a very long answer. Um, I'm going to go into my next questions. Okay, another next question I have is, uh, what does Mas Vino Please mean? Oh, that's a good question. Mas Vino Please is more wine in Spanish, please. And I actually got that name from, so I, I mean, okay, going back to like my original story, I've always loved wine. I've always had wine. And I had a Tumblr account called Kel Chic back in the day. And I would put like little like quotes up every once in a while. And uh, Mas Vino Please was like something I like liked to say, like all oh, like Mas Vino Please, because I thought it was like cute and cheeky. Like I was mixing Spanish and English and I was like, whatever. I just thought it like really tapped into my like Spanglish roots really well. And I actually put that on my Facebook. I don't know if anyone knows or remembers this, but Facebook for a minute, like let you have like a little bio. And so my bio was always Masfino, please. So I thought that was really like telling of who I was. It was really like a self-explanatory, like little bio for me. And so when I was thinking of names for this TikTok and Instagram, I was like, Masvino, please. It just has always been like a phrase and a name that I've used and come back to. So anyway, that's what Masvino, please means. Okay. Next question. Have you heard of the natty wine scene in Australia? Doom juice is amazing. Okay. Yes, I absolutely have heard of the natty wine movement in Australia. I love Australian wines. I think there's a lot of really incredible Australian producers coming out. I honestly don't drink them often. I tend to lean more towards California domestic producers. Like I prioritize those first just for sustainability reasons, just because it's easier to get, uh, 
it's less impact, I guess you could say on the earth when we shop more local. But of course, obviously I also drink wines from outside the United States. And so, um, that being said, I don't drink them often, but good luck wine, my fave wine shop and my fave wine club did a wine club month that was dedicated to Australia. And so they gave us four wines from Australia and they were fantastic. They were all so delicious. So yes, love Australian natty wines. Okay. Here's another really good one. Did you notice a difference in your body when switching to natural wines? Yes, I did. But listen, okay, let's, I'm going to go back. Natural wine yes, is going to have a positive impact on your body. But I would be lying if I said that I had never had a natural wine hangover. I have had plenty of natural wine hangovers, okay? I have drank too much wine multiple times where I felt like shit the next day, okay? So don't let anyone tell you that you're not gonna get a hangover from natural wine because if you drink enough of it, you absolutely will. And the older you get, the more fucked up it is, I promise. Um, That being said, my hangovers are very far and few between. They really, really only come if I drink like in in excess, like if I'm drinking like hardcore, like I threw an event and we after partied and I'm drinking tons of wine, then yeah, I'm going to have a hangover. But if I have like a glass or two, sometimes even three glasses, I'm fine the next day. And I believe that that is because there are no additives in the wines. Conventional wines, wines from Trader Joe's, a lot of wines from Whole Foods, the grocery store, et cetera, like we said in the beginning of this episode, have a lot of added sugars, a lot of added chemicals and things that our bodies aren't really used to. I don't eat a lot of processed foods in the first place. So any kind of added chemical that I ingest is like going to make me feel like shit. So me like not drinking like if I drink a conventional wine I can feel it immediately the next day like I really do notice a difference in my body I almost always have a headache the next day and I just feel shitty and I don't think that that's the case for everyone I just think it happens to me because I have like a very like like whole foods type of diet and I don't really eat processed foods and I don't drink processed wines really so um I think that's why it affects me so negatively. So to answer your question, yes, I did feel, I didn't feel like an immediate difference. I just feel a difference now. Like if I go back and drink a conventional wine, like if I go to my dad's house or a party, a wedding or whatever, and they have a non-natural wine and I drink it, I'm going to feel a little bit sick the next day. That's just how my body like reacts nowadays. Um, But Other than that, I mean, I think like generally, like if you're consuming food and drink that don't have a lot of added chemicals and processes, you're always going to feel better. Great question. Love that question. When's the next t-shirt drop? Next t-shirt drop. That's a great question. I don't know. I'm hoping to have maybe something around the holidays, but we'll see. Um, Thanks again for everyone's support on that last merch drop we sold out in like under an hour 30 minutes I don't know but it was really awesome and I love seeing everyone rocking their Mosfino shirts you guys look so cute I love them okay (laughs) this one's a good one real life question how do you get your hair like this your layers are bomb (laughs) thank you I love that question. Thanks so much. Um, My hair only looks like this. You commented this on the video that I posted yesterday. And that was because I literally got my hair done yesterday. Got my hair cut yesterday. So shout out to my girl, Jessica Cook. She is the best hairstylist in LA. I've been getting my hair cut by her for like over two years now. And she's insane. She knows how to make my hair look amazing. And... She just does a great job. And that's why my hair looked so good because I saw her yesterday. All right. A couple more questions because this is a long one. We're already over an hour. I might have to break this up into two. Okay. uh, Next question. 
how do I make natty wine friends to drink with? My friends don't care about wine. That's a good question. My friends didn't really care about wine either until I forced them to listen to me talk about wine. <laughs> um, okay, well, no, it, honestly, there's two things you could do. One is just be that girl. That's the wine friend that kind of forces them to try new wines and maybe they'll learn to like them. And if not, then I highly recommend, I don't know where you're located or where you're based, but looking for wine events in your area. It's wine or food events because a lot of times like food and wine are going to go together go to some of these events, go to these, like sometimes they throw like pop-ups or parties at bars or um, meetups or whatever. And go hang out, go meet people, go by yourself if you have to. Like, it's so much fun. There's so many people that are so willing to like meet and chat and talk about wine. And I've noticed at my events that a lot of folks come by themselves, which I think is really, really cool because it becomes a meetup. You go by yourself and you meet other people who are also there to learn about the same thing that you like, to talk about the same thing that you like. And it's just a really awesome opportunity for people to just bond together and come together over one. So yeah, definitely recommend checking out any local pop-ups or wine events or meetups that you have in your area, going to them, meeting people, joining groups also like on Reddit or on Instagram or whatever, and just like trying to like make as many connections as you can. Where can I buy Como La Flor? Como La Flor, my collaboration wine with Wonderwork is available on October 20th, comes out in a couple of weeks, and it will be available as an online exclusive. So be sure to follow along on my newsletter, subscribe to the newsletter, because that is going to be the first place that it drops. And then I will be dropping it on Instagram. So First, first dibs goes to the newsletter, but then I'll be shortly posting it on Instagram for folks to order. Okay, everyone, I am parched. I've now talked for an hour and 12 minutes. Oh my gosh, this is such a long episode. Um, I'm probably going to have to cut some pieces out and make it a little bit shorter. But thank you so much. I had so much fun doing this solo episode by myself. I feel like I was talking with my friends who don't talk. <laughs> I was just talking at my friends for an hour. It was great. Um, can't wait to get back into the podcasting groove. Again, if anybody has any recommendations on keeping myself a little bit more organized, please let me know. I'm not going to hire an assistant right this second, but any advice would be fabulous because it is very hard to keep up with all these fabulous opportunities that are coming my way, but also only having a little bit of time. Like I am not Beyonce. I can't do it all, but I'm trying. Anyway, thanks for listening. This was a lot of fun. I am absolutely parched and now I need to go get ready for my Moss Vino night at Good Clean Fun. If you're in downtown LA and you want a really fun place to grab a drink, grab a glass of wine, shop a little, they've got a great bottle selection there. Go hit up Good Clean Fun. It's right in the heart of downtown LA. It's super fun. And hopefully I see you guys there. Bye. Bye.